this isn't about finances and I don't need a, a luxury car and I don't need a villa in fucking, you know, somewhere. I don't need that shit. I don't need that shit. What I need to do is make music and communicate with you. And that's what this is about. Good afternoon, good evening, good metal. My name's Coop and welcome to the Spoken Metal Show. It's a really, it's a really special episode. Uh, every episode that I do, I, I enjoy incredibly and I'm very grateful to speak to the people that I speak to. I tend to not speak to too many, in inverted commas, famous, famous people. Uh, I talk to mainly crew and the people almost behind the scenes, but I was listening to the new single from Venom Inc., uh, How Many Can Die, and... I, I got in touch with, with Tony because I really just, uh, it's about time I, I, I talked to Tony because he's just someone I, I was absolutely fascinated with from the work he's done with Atom Craft and Venom Inc. and Venom and the stuff he's done outside of music as well. Just a hugely interesting gentleman. So I got in contact with him and he gave me something of an exclusive. This is going to be the first time that he's talking about the, the new album, There's Only Black. It's out on the 22nd of September via Nuclear Blast. And it was just really nice to sit down with the gentleman, and he surpassed all all expectations. I knew he was a great guy, and you had a lot to say, and he was very talkative, and it was even more so, which was just absolutely superb to to sit sit down with this gentleman. And I hope you get a lot from it. I hope you um, it gives you an insight into into the album and listen to where to start listening to the album. There's going to be a number of singles that are going to come out as well, and I urge you to listen to those as a kind of a precursor before the album comes out. I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be something very special, as I say in the episode. And we go everywhere. We cover all kinds of stuff and, and, and all over the place. Um, so it's really nice to, to sit down uh, and speak to Tony Dolan. Ladies and gentlemen, it's, uh, it's the fantastic human being that is Tony Dolan. Welcome to the show, sir. Yeah, oh, welcome. Thank you so much. That's a lovely, uh, very kind <laughs> intro. And uh, I appreciate truth. that very much. What's, what's your favourite colour? No. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, at the moment, I would have said, you know, before before we did the new album, I would have said it's kind of a blue. I like kind of electric blue, but now it's black. <laughs> There's only black. There There's is only, only black. black. See, we were just talking before we came on, ladies and gentlemen, because we, actually everybody who listens to the show knows we don't. I don't have a set of questions, and I've been really looking forward to talking to Tony ever since I heard the the single off 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 the album uh, the single how many can die yeah. and ever since then i was i want to get in touch with tony and unfortunately you know through the magic magical ability of technology we've been able to sit down um that is a that's some fucking first single mate that's some first single off the album that that's, oh, uh, thank you so much I, I, you know what's what's amazing is that you know that uh, uh, the kind of the the process we had was um, we uh, uh, two years ago, you know, when the world was a normal world before they hit pause, um, <laughs> we, we finished we finished our season with Vakin. We played a Vakin show. And uh, and then I was due for a hip operation, which had kind of been pending for about 15 years or so. And yeah. it, it come to a real come to a real kind of crooks point where my hip had collapsed and and 
so that season was the worst season for traveling and trying to uh, do my job. And so uh, I thought, right, I managed to book in a hip replacement. So we would finish the season at Vakin. I'd go straight and have my hip done. And then while I was recovering, uh, because we're kind of always writing, you know, Mantis is constantly writing riffs and ideas. And uh, I kind of work in a, a different kind of way. I, I gather everything in my head and then I sit down for a month and just go boom, 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 boom. I, 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 I you know, I'm, I'm the worst person in the studio because I'm the one fidgeting, going, fucking hell, get on with it. Just mix it. Just do it. Just get on with it. Because I don't have the patience. I want it to be, you know, spontaneous and, and real and just capture a moment. And, you know, after you're sitting there for three months while they're trying to work out the, the, the after ping of a fucking crash symbol, I'm like, yo, for fuck's sake, bury me alive. It's like, get on with it. It's just a fucking symbol. Hit it. That's it. It works. So for me, it's like I have that that motivation. But um, so while we, I was going to recover, that's what we we're going to do. We were going to work the new album, get it all ready. 2019, when we flipped into uh, 2021, it was going to be out. It was all going to be done. And then, of course, we went into lockdown. And then that was going to be six weeks. And then it was six months. And then it was on and on, as we all know the story. So I just figured, well, you know, the label, Nuclear Blast, we're going new album, new album, new album. I thought, well, we have the songs. In fact, we had more than enough for an album in, in sketch form. And I said, what, why are we rushing? Because, like, as far as I could see, if we finish the album tomorrow, we can't tour for fucking as far as I can see. So we can't play it live. So what are we going to just put it on a digital format, internet? People might order and have it in their house. But by the time we get to play live shows, the album could be like a year or two years old. So I said, fuck it, we'll be on to the next one. So we just took our time and we ended up with like two albums worth of material. Um, so we selected, along with Nuclear Blast, the ones that we liked for the first album. And then we just spent time working on our ideas for you know, how it would come together, how it would feel. And, um, and, and so that's why it just took the time. There's no point rushing. <clears throat> and of course the record plans, they were held up, so a waiting list, if you could get your album pressed at a rush, was going to take six months. So it was like, well, fuck it. You know, I mean, you're, you're fighting against, uh, going against upstream here. So let's just sit in the boat and let it take us where it goes. And, uh, you know, so I did other projects, as did Jeff. He did the Satanicus with Nurgle online and and, and Countless Bathy with Diva Satanica from and I did a Sabatinero project to raise funds for Italy. So we kind of made it interesting for ourselves all the time, um, you know, working towards the new album, finishing it off together. And, uh, and, and, and that's kind of how we, how we kind of process that whole thing. So we use the downtime quite effectively anyway. And um, yeah. just as a side point before you say the next thing, because I do talk a lot, you know, it's <laughs> Irish heritage and I am from the north, so I talk about a dog shot. But, you know, Mark, this is, since we put the single out and announced the album, this is the premiere. This is the first interview any of us have done regarding the album. So I just want to say, in a way, you kind of got an exclusive, which I'm very oh, happy about. Well, I, I, what a superb, and listen, I said at the top of the show, what a superb human being Tony is, and he is. And, and ladies and gentlemen, before we went on here, we said that whatever the fuck record I've got set, for, for the length of these shows, you've got two people from the north who like to talk a lot. This is going a long time. Listen, I mean, there's loads to unpack there. I mean, Wacken in 2019 seems like a, a really important show for you on a number of levels, you know. Um, yeah. 
the reception you're the start of like you're the process of writing the next album what was going to become but potentially being in front of a lot of new people as well was yeah. massive 2019 absolutely massive um yeah. and then you know you have the, the things happen like you talk about the hip surgery and and I think what some people don't realise that who, who don't, who've never really experienced touring as either crew or, ma- or a musician is that if you're carrying even the slightest injury, it could oh, yeah. be a sprained wrist to a sprained ankle or whatever the fuck it is, that is magnified when you when you when you tour. Magnified, like every that, single that, day yeah. is a battle, you know. And so, so now you've had the hip surgery. I, I, I take it everything was great, and and you're in a much better place. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I was, I was, I came out of surgery. We were walking. Uh, I went to Australia in the uh, when COVID hit in Asia. I was actually, I did a show in Sydney and then came back. And when I got back to UK, I felt a bit crook, and I thought, I'm not feeling very fucking well. I must have picked something up. Of course, I went through Hong Kong airport twice, which is like wall to wall human, yeah, human like beans in a tin. <laughs> and so I obviously come back with COVID. So I'm really sorry, UK, a uh, British Isles. It was probably me who brought the fuck up back. And I was like, fuck. Everybody started getting sick. I was like, what's going on? And a month later, they said, oh, COVID. You know, Dolan's brought COVID back. I was like, fuck, I'm so sorry. But yeah, I mean, uh, um, I was like, re- with my hip, I was raring to go, so excited, thinking, oh, my God, to be able to go and play now. Because no shows. I'm like, for fuck's sake, that's like, you know, I was like, no, I can't even go. But even that, it, it's funny you say that, Mark, about everything being magnified. We played a tour in Russia once, and uh, we played a nuclear bunker in the middle of winter. And when we turned up at the car park, they opened the door, and there was just these concrete steps about, I don't know, fucking like 180 steps down to the basement. And I grabbed some stuff out the truck, and as I put my foot on the first step, I slipped. Went all the way down the stairs, holding onto my base like that with the handle. When I got to the bottom, I broke in two fingers. My hand was like a fucking, you know, a bap, uh, just a, a bap. And um, and I had, to, and that was the first show, so I had to play another twelve shows with my hand broken, which I did. And you know, people go, "You're mental," and it's like, "Yeah, but how could you play?" It's like I don't know what takes over. You know yourself when you're a musician. Yeah. You get on stage, whatever's wrong with you just disappears while you're on stage. It's when you come off that you go, oh, my fucking God. <laughs> and that's when you suffer again. <laughs> but it is. I but even that, like, even... One of the first t- tours I ever did, I was I dropped a, a Galen Kruger bass head on my foot. And, and nice. it, I, pretty, yeah, it's a heavy old fucking thing. And I remember just okay. bandaging it up, just taping it up yeah. and just cracking on because... Uh, ladies and gentlemen, like you know, just there are some musicians that have problems in cancelled concerts. I'm telling you now, metal musicians don't. It, it needs to be like something particularly serious for it to, oh, to yeah. cancel a gig. We will just play through. It doesn't. It doesn't matter because, yeah. like you say, once you go on stage, that it's it it is it's a cliche, but it's true. The adrenaline kicks in, and off you go. It's afterwards yeah. there can be trouble, and that's when you know it's interesting. That's when like people suffer with ailments that like addictions because they're like, well, okay, you know. My arm really hurts or my leg really hurts, so I'm going to take pills or I'm going to take alcohol or whatever it is. Absolutely. And they, they cause dependency from, from that, and it can be a really, really difficult road to get back to. And I'm sure that's something you've seen on the road, and it's, it's a real totally. problem. Completely, yeah, completely. It, you, you know, you find a way to get through. You know, I, was, I had a couple of bad episodes because I was taking heavy medication for my hip. And, um, you know, I got to, like, we were in New York, 
and we played a club, uh, Kingsland, I think it was, in Brooklyn. Normally we played the same club, but this was a different club. And I got there and it, you know, it'd been a kind of rough trip and I was like really in pain. So I took painkillers and then I went and sat at the bar and it was like, I don't know, 11 o'clock in the morning. And then the bar girl came in and I was just sitting at the bar while everybody was setting up. And I said, can I get a shot of Jack Daniels? And she went, the bar's not open yet. And I said, well, what fucking time's it open? She went, when I set it up. I said, okay. So I took a hundred dollar bill. I said, you see what that is? She went, yeah, it's a hundred dollars. I went, if I give you this, will you make sure <laughs> that this glass is never empty all day? She went, absolutely. So I gave her a hundred bucks. And I, well, of course, by the time it came to the show with my painkillers, I didn't know what planet I was on, never mind anything else. I still yeah. did the show. I still did the show, but I was like, you know, I had to get rid of the pain. And, uh, you know, while for me, it was like, yeah, I got through it. What a hero. But for everybody else, it's like, man, that was not the way to go. I should have, you know, if I was too sick, I should have said, and, and I should have yeah. just had to lie down. And But, you know, when you're out there doing it, I mean, I sat in a club called the RCA Club in Lisbon once, with a knife cutting Abaddon's shoe open because his gout had swelled his foot so bad. He was, he was like, I can't put my shoes on to play. So I sat and, and sliced his shoe open and then massaged his foot so he could play that night. And he still played the whole show. And that was like, you know, fourth day on the tour. And yeah. he finished the whole tour, you know. Um, yeah. But then even Mantis, there was, you know, Jeff took a heart attack, um, which links to the new album, but he took a heart attack. Um, died, absolutely died. They had to pump him back to life. I went straight to Portugal the next day. He had open heart surgery, you know, and he was terrified. But 10 weeks later, we played Porosphere in Finland, then went straight to Alcatraz in Belgium and then hit Bloodstock in the UK. And he was on stage looking like a 12-year-old playing. And I was like, wow, that's what music does for you. You know, when you hear stories when someone goes, man, it... You don't know what your music did for me and it, it helped me through my mother's death or it helped me through my cancer or it helped me when my child or it helped me when I went to war and you think, well, fucking listening to Venom, but then you're <laughs> on Venom. But then you, you, you experience it yourself, you know, and think, wow, yeah. When I think about it, you know, I always turn to music when, when I need that support. Yeah. Everybody does, you know, so... Yeah, it's interesting it's that, you, that yeah, that you talk about how you know people's perceptions of the music that you that you create and how important it is in their life. Let's let's take a minute, like to to go back. I want to go back right the way back to the very beginning with yourself with music. Let's do the swirly lines or whatever it may be. It's a Scooby Doo moment. Yeah, yeah. Let, let, let's talk yeah. about that. So, when's the what's the first music you're listening to, and when does that become heavy, if you will, as well? You talk a lot about Lemmy. Is there anything before that? Or yeah, I mean, uh, you know, my my mum my mum loved dancing, and my old man was a was a, a rocker. So he was like, a, you know, he had the suede shoes and all that shit, and the crimp suit and the the old Elvis curl. And so when I when I was coming up, I was like, uh, apart from the Jungle Book and and I think uh, Mary Poppins soundtrack, it was mainly fucking Billy Hilly in the comments. Frankie Valli in the Four Seasons, which I absolutely loved. Not so much the Beatles. It was all rock and roll. Elvis, you know. And so I kind of really got in, particularly uh, Buddy Holly and uh, and Bill Healy. You know, I really, there was something about that. Then I heard Eddie Cochran. It was like, oh, fucking hell. Because he was like kind of a bit rougher and a bit more coarse. And I was just, I loved that whole thing. And then 
into the 70s, of course, we had uh, the glam rock revolution, you know. So I, I, I discovered, you know, Mark Bolin and Bowie and all that kind of stuff that was going on. And then we moved to Canada. And when we moved to Canada, um, you know, whereas in the UK, you would have maybe Radio 1 on certain times would play, you know, if, they, if it wasn't chart music, they would play specialist music. But when you got to America or Canada, every station played rock. They didn't, they didn't decipher. There was no genre. It was like, you know, one minute you were listening to Ted Nugent, the next minute it was Kiss, the next minute it was Florida, the next minute it was, you know, it just kind of went on. And so I was introduced to, uh, the first show that I was really impressed by was uh, a bro my brother-in-law at the time, who became my brother-in-law. His brother was at school with me in Canada and he came and said, oh yeah, we're going to go and see this show. And we went to a place called Cobo Hall in Detroit. And, uh, you know, this big arena show, and I'd never been into anywhere like that. I'd been into a, a theater like the Newcastle City Hall. And I thought that was impressive. And then I walk into this arena, I'm like, fucking hell. And this is going to be like a band playing? They went, yeah. And I think, I can't remember if it was Parliament or who was on first, but I was so impressed with just the event. And then Kiss came on. Ah. And I'd never heard of Kiss. And I, they fucking blew just blew my mind. I was like looking at this, the blood with Simmons, the, the fireworks, the whole look of them was like, and they were like 50 feet tall with their boots on. I was like, this is like, wow, it's like a circus, but to music, you know? Mm. And that left such an impression on me. Um, and when I then, so there was like, uh, they were a favorite, Ted Nugent, of course, um, Foreign Eye kind of liked, uh, Aerosmith I discovered, which were like fucking brilliant, uh, Grand Funk Railroad, I was, all the American stuff, I was like, this is really cool stuff, you know, and so varied, you know, from the Beach Boys to the Grateful Dead and everything in between. And then I returned back to England and, and I remember I returned back one summer, and I, I went to a high school I was going to attend for my last year of high school and they were having a kind of summer party a disco and they said oh you can come because you're going to be joining the school you can meet people maybe some kids you went to school with and stuff so i remember going down there and my hair was like 10 years long i had a big handlebar mustache <laughs> i had a plaid jacket on with a kiss army patch on flares and high and high crit boots and i walked in <laughs> and when i looked in the hall these guys were all dancing to this music and it was a i think it was the white riot by the clash or something or Anakin UK by the Pistols. And they were like jumping up and down and everybody was spitting and shaking their head. And I was just there. I remember staring, thinking, what the fuck happened here? <laughs> I was like, what is going on? And they went, it's punk. And I was like, what does that mean? And they went, you know, like punk rock. I was like, I don't know what the fuck that is. Man, these guys look insane. And they were like, yeah, it's punk. And then I was like, wow. And they're going, but you're a hippie. And I was like, what the fuck's a hippie? And they're going, you know, like the long hair. I was going, everybody's got long hair, I thought. So there was this whole, wow, what is going on? And I think that because, because I'd had, uh, because I was like 15, 15 years old at that point, I am, um, I kind of was like the perfect, the perfect kind of seedling for, for that uh, mm. motion. And, and I thought, wow, I've discovered a band called the Dickies from out of California. And um, they were so fucking fast, ultra fast. And I just thought, wow, that like is mind blowing. You know, they just did covers mainly, but they were all so fast. And I thought, fucking, it's unbelievable. It just kept grabbing me. And uh, I went to a party once and I walked into this party and there was like 
it, it was demarcation. There was like heavy metal kids, punk kids, ska kids. And like I see in Canada, I was just everybody just listening to music. But all of a sudden now people were dressed in a certain way. And I didn't kind of get it that, you know, if you like, if you like this band, you can't like that. But if you like Led Zeppelin, you can't like the specials. If you like the specials, you can't like, and it was like, like Sham City, you know? And I was like, why? And they're going, because you're not one of this, you're one of that. And I never thought of it like that. But I remember I heard this song and I thought, I know this song. So I went over to the guy who played the record and I went, mate, you got that on the wrong speed. And he went, no, I haven't. I said, yeah, yeah, that's too fucking slow. you got to speed it up, you know? <laughs> and he said, it's off the record, mate. It's off the album. It's on the right speed. And I said, but it sounds so slow. I said, well, you want to hear the original? He went, this is the original. It was Paranoid by Black Sabbath. <laughs> and I'd, I'd only heard the Dickies doing Paranoid, which is like <laughs> 200 BPM. And I was like, yeah. oh, fuck. So I just fell in love with Black Sabbath on the spot. I was like, man, I've got to listen to these guys. And I thought they were like ultra doom, you know, because they were so yeah. slow. And so that was like my first, like, wow, that is so fucking heavy to stuff I'd ever heard before. Um, and the musicianship, because that wasn't punk. Punk was like, you could just, just scream, just play the guitar. It doesn't matter if you know how to play, just fucking say something. So that was like speaking to me. You know, I, I don't need to practice uh, being the best guitarist or the best bassist or the best singer in the world. If I've got mm -hmm. something to say, you can just say it. And yeah. so that's what I embraced with the punk. Then listening to the Sabbath and that heaviness. So I was like, fucking, this is unbelievable. And then I went to a friend's house and he said, uh, uh, what do you fancy listening to? And I was like, yeah, have you got any Black Sabbath? He went, Black Sabbath? Nah. He said, oh, I've got something you might like. And he put this album on and I heard this opening bass riff. And I was like, fucking hell, what is that? And it was like, uh, it's a band called Motorhead. It's like their first album. And I was like, fuck me. And uh, after about three hours of me taking the needle and putting it back to just go ahead, he would go, with the fucking just let the whole album play? I was like, I can't, I can't. There's something in that first song. And yeah. then I walked into a Newcastle University. I think maybe it was 79, 78, 79. I walked into Newcastle University, say a punk band, local punk band. I knew I used to go and say I kind of liked. And uh, the noise toys. And... Um, and they were supporting this other band. I, I didn't know who they were. I hadn't checked any flies. I just went into the show, saw them, went backstage to hang out with them, you know, because I was underage for the show. So they just went, yeah, come back. We'll give you beer. So I sat with them. And then the singer came in and he said, um, talk, he went to, you should get yourself outside and see this band we're opening for because we heard them in soundcheck. They're fucking, you're going to love them. They fucking sound nuts. And I was like, all oh, right, okay, what kind of style are they? He went, well, they got long hair. I was like, oh, fucking hippies. And he was like, yeah, but they're kind of punky. And I, I went out into the dark, fought my way all down the front, and I heard that bass sound again. And I thought, that can't be that band. Boom, there they were, Eddie, uh, Lemmy, and Phil. And I, I, I walked out totally shell-shocked, and I thought, the epitome of my life if I could be in a band that was as fast as the Dickies <laughs> and heavy and as That's ugly heavy. as Motorhead, that would be like the perfect world. And, yeah. uh, you know, fast forward, like, you know, five you years, then I'm <laughs> there and everything that followed, you know, just yeah. beautiful, beautiful. I, I, it's, uh, Levy always comes up as rightly you should, God, God bless him. The, he's the connecting tissue for a lot of things, like just unpacking yeah. some of those things you were talking about. People forget that when, like, Bill Haley and the Comets were doing Rock Around the Clock and stuff like that, that that was played at the end of a, a, a movie called Blackboard Jungle. 
And at the end yes. they play that song. People would go just to see that listen, sorry, listen to that song and yeah. then tear the fucking cinema apart. There was riots at Bill Haley yeah. and the common shows. People forget that that it was re- real rock and roll. Lemmy talks about rock and roll and says, like, you know, heavy metal is just rock and roll by another name. But what he give us and what Motorhead give us, which is beautiful, certainly for me, was he made it okay to like different forms of music. Like he made totally. it okay to like punk. He was like, no, 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 you can like punk. Well, it's, it, it, we listen to punk as well. We listen to the damned and you're like, oh, okay, I can too. And yeah. when I was growing up listening to music around probably the same time as yourself, we, we didn't have genres. We didn't know what it was called. It wasn't called anything yet. We, we knew terms and stuff like that. But when someone called me a hippie or whatever, because I had long hair, it was like, what the fuck is this? I don't know. And and it was yeah. only like later on that you got, okay, this is heavy metal. What? Yeah. It's what now? Yeah. And so it's interesting that like you know, that, that, that Lenny comes up because he's, a, as he should be, he's the founding influence on, on a lot of people. Like you say for yourself, he's clearly a massive into it. And then like, you know, Gene Simmons as well. You, you, you think about Kiss and what they did just purely visually, but then from sort of commercially and what happened then, it brought, it opened the floodgates, you know, to, to a, a billion, billion, billion bands like, you know. Yeah, yeah. And and that is interesting about Lemmy because it's like, um, you know, uh, um, it, it, it was just rock and roll. But, you know, when you, if you go like, yeah, but more ahead, this extreme form of rock and roll, which it was, which it was, because nobody was sounding like that. That was like, fucking hell, yeah. what's going on? But, yeah. but exactly what you said, like at the end of that movie, people would go to see Bill Haley in that movie. It was like a video. They were going to watch a video. That That's is what exactly we would it, yeah. do as a video. Now. Yeah. And so they were going to see the video. They didn't give a shit about the movie. They wanted, And they went nuts. So if you put yourself in that time, it can look kind of lame now or kind of weak now compared to going to a Slayer show, a Napalm Death show and being yeah. in the circle pit. But then that's not what was happening because it was non-conforming. It was something extreme for the kids, you yeah. know? And that's what let you kind of, for me, kind of reinvented rock and roll to be um, anarchistic and ugly and against the norm again, mm. against industry. It was something, you know, and... We can call him a legend now and say he's influenced and say Motorhead, you know, iconic, whether you like them or not. Everybody recognises that. But there was a band, a guy formed a band, didn't want to leave Hawkwind, gets kicked out, forms his own band, and fuck you, then I'll make the worst thing that, that you could have ever heard. And everybody says, you're shit, you're shit, fucking stop it. Well, they didn't stop. And look what happened. You know, he becomes an icon. He becomes a, a ground-changing uh, person, you know, and that's what happens. You stick to your guns. You know, the mm. whole interesting thing about then realizing, you know, that there was no subgenres. There was the bands were individual, Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath, Judas Priest. None of them sounded alike. Uh, Saxon, you know, Girls School, you know, on and on and on, UFO, Magnum, you know, none of them sounded alike. They were all very individual and they didn't have to sound alike. They didn't have to sound similar. We weren't looking at a genre specific. It was just all from Rose Tattoo to Twisted Sister to ACDC. It made no difference. I'd mm. stand I'd stand at a show um, with a guy standing next to me and I'd have Motorhead on or Venom or whatever. And the guy standing next to me had Toto and Journey and Asia. I didn't go, you shouldn't be standing here because those patches aren't right. It didn't make any yeah. fucking difference. Yeah. You know, and, and what I loved about it. You know, and, and leading on to the the reason that Venom called themselves Black Metal, made the album Black Metal, was because, you know, they were doing a Kerrang interview, and on the cover was Bon Jovi. And Kerrang was supposed to be a heavy metal magazine. 
So they were going, well, you know, kind of where do you guys see yourselves fitting in? And 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 they picked up the magazine, Conrad picked up the magazine, said, if that is heavy metal, Bon Jovi, then we're fucking not heavy metal because we're not Bon Jovi. So he said, well, what are you then? And he went, black metal. And that was it. That was it. That's you know. It seems like every time, every time a, a, a music, a band, or whatever, tries to claim back itself and claim back its genre a little bit, they're the defining moments, aren't they? Like you say, you yeah. know, when when they say we are black, okay, right there and then, that's the genre. It's just been created, you know, completely just because it was one person or a group of people's decision to go. Okay, we're going to rebel, like like Metallica moving away, going, well, we're going to wear our street clothes on stage. And we're yeah. going to do that, and you know, they were they were an underground band at one time. You know, it's it's well, crazy it's... to think that, and you know, to talk on where they are now. So, like, I mean, I, I, I'm sure you've answered a billion questions about Venom, so I'm not going to go into the, the history and the word of wherefores, but I will ask this: I, I, I like so with bands now, uh, or rather fans, I should say, they're listening to Venom Inc. now and the new yeah. album that comes out, and that might be that might be the first album someone hears by Complete. Venom. Completely. I don't think they give anybody really gives a fuck now about all the, the stuff that went on. It just feels no. like history and it feels like, okay, yeah. we can look into that and who played on what album and all that bullshit and, and that. Yeah. But realistically, what stands and probably always will is the music, right? Totally. It doesn't matter. If you like that no. album, you ever listen to that album, if you like this, like, do you think people get hung up too much on, on lineup changes and stuff? And it, it depends. It depends because music is is, is such a motive thing. You're right. Like I, I saw Motorhead for the first time and mm. it was those three I saw playing those songs. And I went to see them all the time until they broke up. Now, uh, Phil Campbell is brilliant. I saw him with, uh, you know, his band before Persian Risk and, and uh, uh, I had nothing wrong. Wurzel was somebody who lived very close to me and I'd see him all the time and he was a great guy. We had lots of friends in, in common. Uh, Pete Gill was with Saxon and I knew Pete, you know, from his work. And so there was nothing wrong with changing that lineup. Um, Robertson, I loved Anthony Lizzie, so why not like Robertson? He's great guitarist, you know, and I liked the albums that they did. But that moment, that special motorhead, this is my key yeah. moment, yeah. stays with me forever and it can't be changed, you know? And I think that's it. The first time anybody hears a piece of music with a particular lineup or whatever it is, if that affects you to go, oh my God, I love this shit, then you want to keep a hold of that forever. You know, the same Metallica that's, you know, making movies and can do whatever they want, you know, rich and will fill an arena, five five dates in an arena, sell it out every night. The people go, they suck. It's like, do they, do they really suck? I mean, you know, what are you, what's your goals? But um, there's a band that played up and down the, the West Coast with people telling them they were shit, telling them to fucking get yeah. on stage, you know? But because yeah, yeah, yeah. they thought they were not the norm. Um mm. And Zazula took a chance on them and, and Megaforce and the rest was history. Um, you know, but 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 that's the essence of it. So I think in a way, um, uh, it's the first time you hear it. For example, I did right. Primeval with Venom in 89. Um, and I have fans that come and go, oh my God, Primeval is my all time, you know? Exactly, so, yeah. 
it depends when you join the event. If I could kind of, yeah, kind of put a take on it. I think you're right. I think it's the first time you you, 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 you find that band. And whatever that lineup is, if it's the classic Motet one, or it's the one with, with, with Phil Campbell, like, you know, that, that's just as great. But it's the yep. first one you find. What I think that we, we need to get over it, some of the maybe the fans that, that, that kind of pour over that and get heads up about it is, it doesn't take away from the next iteration of our band. No, it doesn't. Not it doesn't, doesn't affect. You've still got it. You've still got yes. these spades. You've still got yes. we are the road crew. It's fine. But you can also have, you know, uh, your, the the latter stuff. You can also it doesn't the two don't. It doesn't ruin it. It doesn't take no. it away. You no. know, if you like, if you like, ladies and gentlemen, if you like Venom Incorporated's new single, go back and listen to everything by them. And if you find exactly. something the fucking the the Tony's not on, but you like it, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. That's exactly. You know? so, when you when you sit down and you start to write and you start create this, especially this new album, and you sit there and you think, kind of, do, do you have a game plan? It's like, well, this is what I want to achieve. I want to because it's called Venom Incorporated. It wants to incorporate all the elements that you thought were were Venom. And do you have exactly. like a, a mental checklist, if you will? You like, listen, we're going to do this. Do you have a a kind of a a, a way and approach of any kind, or is it just we're going to play and it will come out because it's our personality? Well, well, I think I think maybe from Mantis' point of view that he has, you know, he has his stylistic likes and dislikes, so he approaches it stylistically for how he constructs. So, you know, he'll end up with a kind of seven gates of hell or an obvious satanist or, you know, a, a thousand days in Sodom because he likes the epicness of that. It's very Dio-esque in a way. He likes the uh, clip riffs like uh, the Ripper, which is, which is what he based the middle bit of Candace Pastry on. It's the rip. He'll have those go-tos and he likes to form around with that. And for me, I'm absolutely organic. I don't want anything in my head. I just want to sit down and, you know, even when we do albums, you know, I will not, Mantis will always sketch out lyrics and have ideas for this pattern and that pattern. I, I don't do that. I, I want the music to tell me what it's called and I want the, the music to tell me what to say. So I just let the music tell me. So I kind of work in visuals, you know, um, mm. you play me something you've just written and I see a landscape or I see a war, or I see uh, I see something. And then I use that as the basis to form the words around that. And it's almost like the music is, it's like, you know, when you watch a painter and when you watch a painter, not painting like a, 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 a scene or, or, or a, a landscape or, or, or a portrait, but just creating something, are they, is it already on the canvas and are they just un, unveiling uh, it for you? Yeah, or yeah like, a like, a, like a sculptor would. Like a sculptor would. The, the stone's yes. there, but the image, I understand. Yeah, yeah. It's already there, you know. Michelangelo's David was already in the stone. He just had to get rid of the shit so you could see it. And sure, that's kind yeah. of how I—that's kind of how I work with the music. It's like if I if I put my hands on the guitar and the riff comes out that I want to use, it was already there. I've just I've just unveiled it, and then yeah. the lyrics are already in there. The ideas are already in there. I've just got to let the music show me what it says. So that's yeah. kind of how I do it. And I I think by doing it that way for me it's. It means that it's more spontaneous, it's more real, it's more true. I'm not trying to bend it to sound like this. Very interesting when the single went out. Um, 
you know, I heard uh, some people would go, like, oh, yeah, it's, it's good, good, good. And then people would say, oh, this guy said this and this guy said that. And a lot of people didn't get the cover straight away, which is cool. They will. And a lot of people reacting to the first song. You know, it's short. And someone said, oh, it, it just sounds like a, a third-rate slayer, repentless. And that's not a compliment. And I said, well, as repentless was the biggest selling slayer album to date, <laughs> I take that as a compliment. However, I find that was interesting. And someone had said... Um, you know, or they, they took an influence from Slayer. And, and I, another a fan had said, um, these guys fucking influence Slayer. What are you talking about? But the guy said, yeah, just because you influence someone, it doesn't mean you can't take influence yourself. And I thought that was very clever. Yeah, that's it. That's an interesting way of seeing it. Yeah, because, I mean, you you played famously, you know, supported them at the marquee. And, and, you know, Absolutely. So you would have seen, you know, the, like really early stages of Slayer, you know, like that whole sort of thing, you know, that early stages. And you look, yeah. been able to see their whole career. Now, it's ridiculous yeah. to think that there's a point where you influence them and then that stops. And then uh, and it, does, it doesn't work like that. You can hear <laughs> someone else and go, fucking hell, that's, I'm sure you, you heard Rain and Blood. I'll be like, that's fucking brilliant. And well, take for, the things yeah. that you want from that because you enjoy it. Absolutely. I mean, for me, you know, I, I, I knew Quarthorne and uh, we trade tapes as they did me with a lot of people who became, you know, the industry from from yeah. Europe came the industry. And, um, you know, uh, 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 Pete Carnivore, I had the first Carnivore demos I'd, with Pete Thiel and I'd trade, you know, so I was, you know, all this, that was just us being young guys all trying to share our band and stuff. And some mm. of them went on to great things. But I remember... Um, the first time I heard Slayer, I thought, oh, my God. And when people go referencing Venom, go, oh, they're just Venom clones and stuff. And I thought, they're battery clones. Because if you listen to Kerry's uh, track, yeah, yeah, yeah. you listen to Quarton, it's like, that's what he was listening to. That's where that came from. You know, with Metallica, I was Diamond Head. And with Slayer, it was certainly from Kerry's point of view, that came from Quarton. That was not, that missed the Venom thing. Although they yeah. liked Venom, not saying they didn't. And, and Venom... The impact of Venom wasn't an influence, but there's a difference between influencing somebody. You could say you were influenced by Kiss because of their presence, their stage show, the way they produced themselves, but not the music, which was kind of like rock and roll, poppy, rocky yeah. stuff. So yeah. what is the influence? They influenced you, and maybe not yeah. direct with the music, but I mean, Slayer, from that moment, even before that moment, probably Haunting the Chapel, but certainly on the Halloween's tour, uh, that, for me, that was like the epitome i just fucking loved it so much and yeah, then yeah. getting the opportunity to play with them by the time rain and blood came out that's my number one go-to after motorheads anything is slayers rain and blood because it's yeah. like it doesn't get better than that 20 minutes of pure fucking wonderful you know yeah. and i think if i if i have taken an influence then uh, maybe I went to the Astoria with Joel MacGyver, who's a writer, does bass uh, player magazine and the editor. And he's written many books on Slayer and, and Metallica and everybody. And um, he's a friend. And, and he was going to see Slayer on the God Hates Us All at the Astoria, the old Astoria that they pulled down now. Yeah, and yeah. Mantis was down. Jeff was at mine. And he said, oh, do you fancy maybe coming down and you guys coming to the show and we'll go and see the show? So I said, yeah, fucking why not? And Jeff wasn't a big Slayer fan. So he was like, yeah, whatever. So we, we go down and uh, I said, look, we don't want to meet the guys after or nothing. We just watch a show and then we'll go. Because uh, yeah. they don't really care about me anyway. So it's like, I don't want to be in that awkward situation going, oh, hi, yeah, and all that shit. 
Um, but they played God Hates Assault, which I liked, and then Rain and Blood. And they played the first half of God Hates Assault and then went into Angel of Death, played the whole of Rain and Blood, and then went back into the rest of God Hates Assault. So they played two albums yeah. in one okay. set. Yeah. And I was fucking blown away. Totally, totally blown away. Lombardo himself, I was like, how does anybody manage to do that? <laughs> so, you know, to say that um, there's a slight influence in their fucking right, you know. If, what, if why, could... is, why is it seen as a dirty word? Tony, influence is a good thing. It's why is it? Look, you were, you you played all kinds of shows with Exodus and Paul, God, you know, God bless him. You know, it's like, yeah. you, it's, what happens, ladies and gentlemen, when you play as a group of musicians on tour is every night you try and upstage each other. And in doing so, yeah. you become better. That's that's how it works. And yeah. then when you come off tour and you go into an, and make an album, you are listening to other people's albums to get you pumped up in the same way you would if you went to the fucking gym or I don't know, whatever it is. You know, it's like, it's, why, is it, why is it a dirty word? Why is it? I don't we, understand that. We, we, we played San Francisco. Uh, we went to uh, on the RV album. We played San Francisco, and uh, uh, Brian called Brian, who, who um, you know, writes for, who used to run Metallica's fan club, and he makes, he's the one who designs the little dolls you see in the Balaf one and the new Jim um, Cliff Burton one. He designed those, you know, yeah. and uh, and so he 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 contacted me. He said, "Yeah, Tony, I used to work with this guy Sam Cress, who did this magazine Whiplash. Remember from 1980?" I said, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." He said, I'm going to come down to the show. I've got a copy for you. I'd like to have a chat. And I was like, sure. And he said, could I do a plus one? Because i got a buddy who wants to come. I said, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it was my birthday. And we finished the show. And I'm fucking getting all my stuff off stage. And the guitarist on the, one of the support bands, Necrophasia, which was uh, Killjoy's uh, band before he died, bless yeah. him. Uh, Steve comes to me and says, uh, holy shit, you know who's upstairs waiting for you? I was like, waiting for me. What have I done? The police? And he, went, <laughs> oh, no. he said, is uh, James Hetfield? I was like, oh, he said, yeah, he was in watching the whole fucking show. He was playing air guitar and drumming throughout the whole show. So I went upstairs and it was James. It was like, oh, shit. And he said, well, yeah, man, he came down. And he said, man, I love that part you do in between songs. It's so fucking cool. And, the, and he said, it's a hard job, you know? And I said, well, you know, next time you go out, don't forget, you know, you've got to up your game then, you know? But, <laughs> It, it, it's, it's it's those true. kind of things that people see and go, that's cool. I might, I'm not saying that James yeah. is then going to go and do that, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's exactly what you said when you're watching another band, you go, fucking hell. I remember watching, you know, Rick and Gary on that first Exodus tour uh, where we went all over Europe. Just, they never fucking stopped. They were like, like fucking Duracell batteries. And I was like, Man, we've got to move more. We've got to move more. Look at them. It's like fucking else, like they're in the Olympics. But it was so exciting. So, you know, you do get influenced by your peers uh, and you get influenced by, you know, the greats. Um, but you might you might go and see a local band and go, I really love the way that guy looked. And so you find yourself with your foot on your monitor, with the bass in a different position, you know, because you're just trying it out. What looks good, you know? Um Photographs, we, we, you know, you regularly look at the photographs from shows, festival shows and stuff to see what angles they were taking them from. And then you look for the cameras when you're playing to get good angles. So they get a good shot. You get a good shot. You know, so it's, it's, it's an organic substance always moving. And, mm. um, you know, as much as people would go, how many can die? Sounded like uh, Slayer Repentless and, and, and were insulting. I was like, 
that's like brilliant to me. That's like great. Yeah. Glad that's the feeling you got. I mean, it's yeah. the tip of an iceberg, you know. And people, some people were saying when they heard the single, were going, um, you know, oh, it's not for me because it's a bit too this, it's a bit too that. And, you know, Avi was so strong. So maybe the rest of it will be a bit more like Avi. And they seem to forget that what I did on Avi was put out Dinefleisch, was the first single from Avi, which was kind of a, like a Rammstein thing Mantis had made. And people were like, what the fuck is that? But now they're going, oh, yeah, but the album. It's like, yeah, but the first single, you know? So it's like, yeah. I, I'd rather poke a stick in someone's eye to get them <laughs> to go, what the fuck are you doing? But then yeah. they've got, you've got their attention. Once you've got their yeah. attention, you know, come yeah. in. It's, it's like when you talk about Repentless by Slayer, and people are like, okay, it's like, it's the worst Slayer album or whatever it is. And it's like, if I don't understand where the line is, right? So hold on. If an album doesn't sell very well, is it underground? Therefore, it's cool. Or if it doesn't yeah. sell very well, is it shit that no one cared? If it sells too yeah. many, does fucking it, it, is it amazing? Or if you sold out, it's like what the what are the fucking rules? Yeah. Here's the rules, ladies and gentlemen. The rules are: do you fucking like it? Yes or no? Crack on yeah. and listen to it, and that's it. And and yeah. and it can be that everything influences everything else. It's way more complicated than people going. That riff sounds like this. Shut the fuck up. Shut. Yeah. It doesn't doesn't work like that. It's like I'm pretty sure that when just before. You know, Judas Priest went in to do Painkiller. They were on tour with, like, uh, Pantera and, and all these aggressive... Are you dead right, that fucking influence? Hear, yeah, you can hear the influence. Of course you can. And you want it yeah. because it just injects another life into into them. And they're, they're great songwriters and great guitar players, which is going to increase that tenfold. I think now that we're in a really interesting time where if Heffield does come out and say, you know, I was listening to, uh, to, to Ben in this or I was listening to whatever, people can quickly find these things now so yeah. previously you know if you were you know it was like the 80s or the 90s and tape trading days you had to it took a while for you to get hold of a band and get into your i'd like to hear more diamond head or whatever it may be now that could be very instant so yeah. it's nice that when 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 someone you know from a larger metal community like Hetfield or, or lars drops your name uh the kid yeah. can go and find that on spotify or whatever really quickly um, totally. Which I think, which you think is a great thing, and it's probably, I think it's probably why it's nice now that people like yourself and Benamik can have a real long career from that, real, real sort of longevity, because people are finding you much quicker and easier now. You know? Yeah, you're bang on, Mark. I mean, that that's the thing when when people have said in the past, they like, go, oh, "What do you think, internet good or bad?" It's like, well, you know, it has its bad points. Of course, it does. We all know that, but it also has its good points. As far as a musical thing, you know, the, the arguments for Spotify, iTunes, and the payments, and of course, you know, artists have to survive, and of course, that 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 has to be dealing with money. And if you if you're not paying artists, how long are you going to have artists? You know, you probably lose. You might have like. I don't know, 500 releases a month from any one country of new bands, but you may be losing a thousand bands a month who can't survive because they can't play shows because they can't afford it because they can't make any income. So, you know, it's, there's a balance that has to be had. Uh, and in the old days where the record company would give you huge advances, now they just want you to produce everything, give them the finished article, and it's enough that they just put it on a platform for you and stick their label on it. So mm. there's less investment in that way. And, uh, and and so there's a negativity to that, to, to the Spotify's and the iTunes and, and, you know, so people then have band camps and stuff so you can go directly to the artist. But the positive side is exactly what you said, is like, um, you know, one guy, I'm a guy, there's, I don't, I can't get a band because I live in a fucking village in wherever it is, Shitsville, and uh, nobody wants to listen to my shit because I'm playing black metal. So I buy myself a, 
a simple computer. I get myself a little scarlet or whatever is my, my, my interface. And I've got a guitar, I've got a bass, and I've got a drum machine and a bit of keyboard, and I can fucking create my own thing. Now I can, with Photoshop or something, I'll create some imaging, and then I'll go online and I'll put up my own website, and now I can put my MP3s up, and now I can put it through Bandcamp, and I can even go online and print shirts up or posters. So I'm self-sufficient. I've become my own industry. I'm my own record label. And not only that, but through a community like yourself, like myself and a community of of online, I can have like websites and webzines and people sharing. And so people can find me, whereas there was no way it was ever going to happen before. Now it can happen. So, you know, of course, everybody goes, oh, you know, that magic, if I just get signed by Neopom or Metal Blade or whatever, whatever. And it's like, yeah. But you need to, you know, what you need is you need to propagate your business and use all your acumen to to give as much to your fans and propagate your fans, spend your time talking to them, spend your time, you know, listening to the industry, seeing what's working, stay true to yourself. Of course, you're not trying to sell yourself as something you're not. So if I'm black metal and people go, nobody listens to black metal, I'm fucked. But if I'm death metal and everybody, everybody wants death metal, I'm winning. So, you know, stay who you are. And fight through it. If people go, you suck, nobody's ever going to listen to you. Do you take that and change who you are? Do you just go, okay, but this is who I am. You play the ball through. Like I say, you know, Metallica being on stage, uh, you know, in, in, in fucking West Hollywood being told, fuck off, you use of X, Y, Z, get the fuck mm-hmm. out of here. But that's still Metallica now, you know, so... You have to go through it. You have to go through that. You know, Venom were told they were shit. Motorhead were told they were shit. You know, as much as everybody goes out deep purple, you know, you, you can hear from the guys themselves. They had a really difficult time. Queen, for fuck's sake. You know, Queen was like, what the fuck is this? Even the industry were going, you're know, like some avant-garde, punsy, fucking whatever. Queen, <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean, get fucked. So yeah, yeah they, had, they had to force... They, they, to get it on the radio it was only Kenny totally. ever playing it on the radio and totally. interestingly enough it's it's how Venom kind of got on the they got on the radio from someone it's this it's this thing of like ladies and gentlemen what how refreshing is it to hear uh, that you know that someone who's seen pretty much every facet of the business for a long period of time telling you that you know the technology is to be embraced and yeah. that you know that being yourself is is always going to be and playing the music that you enjoy is always going to trump trying to chase something or trying to chase something you are not because ladies and gentlemen the fans will find you out you know they will find you out i think the reason people have stuck with you the likes of yourself tony and the various projects that you've been in is because it's very clear that this is inherent this is in your blood you know that yeah. this style of music is something that is is intrinsically part of you and it, you, you do it and if it isn't you can't do this you you, know, you no. can't do this for you Lord knows how many sorts of records you, you've played on and, and, and been involved in. You can't do that unless you adore and, and be, love this business. And I think it's really refreshing to hear that, that rather than maybe some musicians who rally against change and rally against the new because they, they see it as, a, as an intrusion on, on what they're doing. I mean, let's be honest, you know, I was reading a, I had uh, Michael Han on the show a couple of shows ago. He did, wrote a book called Denim and Leather, and it's yeah. fabulous. And he talked about how they bands would watch technology, but in those days, that technology was Sounds Magazine or it was whatever. Yeah. It didn't. It, you, you've just got to see what the opportunities are, and if they're digital or whatever they are, then that's what you you go with, you know. But I think people will simply listen listen to this, and they'll be like, "Why can't we have the album right now?" And I'm sure. Yeah. 
Me and Tony would love you to listen to that album right now. Here's that album. Okay. Where you go. But the difficulty is when you work with a label, it's not their fault, but they have to present it and they have to pr promote it correctly. And if you think there's so much fucking noise internally, internally uh, like digitally, that you have to find the space to, to, to land your punch, so to speak, and to, to do that. And that's why... Yeah, uh, a for, is it September 22nd, is it, for the album? Am I, am I right in thinking? September 22nd. Yeah. And yes, people are that's like, well, it. I that's, mean, we, that's, a, that's a fucking world away, but it, it takes time, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does. I mean, there's processing, you know, there's um, there's a run up for, you know, digital media and then there's a run up for uh, uh, album printing then artworks, then getting everything in place. So it doesn't happen that you go, right, I finished this song. So tomorrow it's a single and you can buy it and then you can have everything that, that goes with it. You know, it all is a process. It all takes a bit of time, um, you know, but uh, and we did want it sooner. It, we wanted to get it sooner, but we just used the time. Of course, COVID meant that all of the records, all of the plants, you're here, you're getting albums coming out now that have been sitting there for seven, seven months, you know, uh, and 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 uh, bands touring now that were trying to tour 12 months, 15 months ago. So it, it, it's a bit unusual at the minute, but usually there's a process. It's a three months or four months run up before release. So the band delivers four months out and then you've got that time for them to line everything up and get it already and then drop the album uh, this is a bit unusual and we just thought well what do we do what do we do do we just sit waiting when people go when is the album when is the album you get kind of tired of going it's coming it's coming it's coming it's like fucking hell even i'm sick of hearing that so you go <laughs> right well, what do we do so we plotted a way to release a few singles running up to it so there'll be another couple of songs coming off the album which will bend the flavor quite a bit so you can go oh okay i see that wasn't just the one trick pony there's other stuff there and then we can drop the album but for me i think i went old school you know the labels all, all go right so we'll release a single and then we'll release a lyric video and then we'll release this and i'll go fucking hell i don't want to give anything away if it was me i'd do what i did with obvi i give them a sample of something that's coming and then i drop the album and that's when you hear everything because in the old days, that's what we used to do. I'd, 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 uh, uh, the band would be on top of the pops. I'd see them do their new single. I got fucking mind blowing, like running free by Maiden. So I went to the local record store. It was coming in on a Saturday. I waited, I got it. I looked at the sleeve on the bus all the way home. I put it on the record player, I listened to it. And then I went and bought a ticket for the show. And they were going to tour. And they were touring the album that was going to come out. So on the day that they were going to tour, that's when the album was released and there they were. So it's like, fuck. So I had to wait. I had to wait. I couldn't do anything. But the excitement, if the, if the first thing you heard grabbed you, the fucking excitement was palpable to go, I can't believe I'm going to hear the fucking album. And then you'd hear it. And then you'd be standing in the show watching them play it. It was like, wow. Yeah. And I did that with Judas Priest and, and well, fucking everybody, everybody that I got to see. You know, I saw ACDC on Highway to Hell was like, I can't believe I'm going to fucking see them play this live, you know? And uh, so all of that is like, wow. Imagine imagine you hear Ace of Spades on top of the pops. And then I go and buy the single and it had Dirty Love on the other side. And then I still can't hear the album. I've just got this single, two songs. I'm like, fuck, fuck, fuck. And then they're going on tour. And I walk into Newcastle City Hall. I get the album for Christmas. There's a sweatshirt with Ace of Spades on and I'm standing in front of them. Well, I had my head in the bass bins and they're playing this shit live. It's like, wow, that's just, what an experience. Mm. That's where the internet kind of can 
sometimes rub off the wrong way because before an album's come out, you've heard most of it, you've seen all the artwork, you've kind of it's dissipated itself. So the they want to put that out to excite people and get pre-orders, but then you're trying to stay on that fucking crest of a wave and surf it all the way into the beach, but it keeps getting lower and lower and lower. And by the time the album comes out, you could be in the sand. And I want to try and keep that like motivation. No, so you're yeah. still gonna yeah. drop when it hits, yeah. bang, you're gonna hit the ground. So that's yeah. the process of it. Yeah, it's and that hasn't you know that's that that's probably that will never change the, the excitement. You know, you've got to you've got to keep it up moving. You know, that's why bands yeah. get into that cycle of album tour, album tour, album tour, because it's you, you keep that momentum up and you know, and the excitement of we're hearing the first single off an artist is still is still there, even in this age, yeah. it's still there. And quite yeah. rightly, as you say, nothing will take away from that live experience when it's as simple as that of, of being in the front row. You know, with arms folded where you used to be able to on the stage, watching yeah. watching a band play that song that you've been playing fucking two hundred times before you, yeah. you got to that show. It's, there's nothing there's nothing better than that. Um, yeah. I just as a sidebar, something that just occurred to me, which I want to talk about quickly, um, is the support of new an artists and that type of thing. And I want to talk about that a little bit just for a second. But um, friends of the show, Virus, you recently played uh, bass for them. At the metal yes. to the masses, and I was I was blown away that you, you did. I, talk, I talked to Barris about about this, uh, you know, before before the show, and I think that that was a that was a wonderful thing to do, um, you know. Uh, and I I just wanted to get your take on new music that you're listening out to, to now, and who do you th- who do you get excited by now when you're listening? Well, I think uh, yeah, the virus thing was really good. They got stoked. They had the metal to the masses gig, and um, they didn't have someone playing bass. And a mutual friend of ours, who does a radio station, um, said like, "Oh, you know, Tony Cook's a bit stuck. They need a bassist." And I was like, "Okay." So I, I got in touch, and he said, "Yeah, it looks like we're gonna fuck." There was a great opportunity, and I said, "Well, send me the stuff." And so he sent me the new album which was amazing, and I learned all the stuff and went and did the gig with him. So for me, it was just you know helping out, but, but also getting to play something different and some mm. really cool music. So, you know, and getting to play a show during, after all the lockdown we yeah. had. So, you know, it's, it was great to, to, to do. But I think, um, you know, I went to see the new Novosa lined up with Burning Witches who were touring because they're friends of mine. You know, Preka, I took them on tour with us uh, when we went out with Suffocation because um, they'd had a bad experience with, Venom, the other Venom, or Venom, whatever you want to say, with Kronos's Venom. And they hadn't been treated very well when they played through South America. So I wanted to make it up to them. So I said, look, I'm going to bring you out on tour with us just to show that we're not all the same, that, you know, it's not how it is with the guys because they're all girls, you know. So it's like, you know, we're not all like that. And we went out, we had a great time. And they split into two fractions. So you now have uh, uh, Francis... Uh, um, Fernanda Lira, she done Crypta, and yeah, uh, yeah. Which, which is amazing. And then, of course, Mia Wallace is a good old friend of mine from Abbas, and and she played with Tom Warrior with the uh, Hellhammer tribute thing, and uh, she joined with Prika into the new universe, and then Diva Sataniga from Bloodhunter, so she went there too. So I went to see them. So that that for me, that's quite exciting. They're working very hard. They've just done three months now. They're off to America for two months. But um, lots of stuff, Torture Squad, another great uh, band who are, are known, old school band from uh, um, Brazil, um, but ha- have had this new singer, Maya Paretes, and, she, you know, I got to on Sabatinil. Again, great Trips of Doom, who are now coming out, Sepultura bassist, and, you know, that's all working. So for me, it's like 
and a million, a million other bands. I mean, you know, uh, um, I'm, I get sent stuff so much. I used to have a terror drive, the first one bit, one terror drive bit, one <laughs> bit terror drive, whatever. And it was all, all South American bands. I mean, full. It was full South American bands from um, Goat Penis to you it's name such it. A team. Yeah, yeah. And every every kind of thing. And I never, you know, Mark, I never discerned between um, styles. I didn't think, uh, well, these are death metal, these are black metal, these are hardcore, these are grindcore. I didn't distinguish. It was just, I liked it or I didn't like it, you know? And um, yeah. But I always invested in it. And, and, that- and, uh, and that's what the beauty of it is. It's like every kind of creativity from every corner of the planet, from, you know, Kuala Lumpur to fucking Manila, from fucking New Zealand to ever. And, and when we play shows all over the world, I, 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 um, I like to kind of invest in those bands. I want to see as many of them as I can playing live because, you know, it's so exciting for me. Uh, I mean, and even at the Novosa Bernowitsch show, um, the guitarist from Destruction, who's uh, uh, also just sound for Navosa, uh, they were about to go to America. Destruction, they've just put out the new album. We did a project for um, um, a Metal Against Coronavirus uh, for for South America, and he he produced the song that me and Preka duetted on, and we'd never met, but we talked so much, and so here we were meeting, and we could talk about the new Destruction album, and then they introduced me to another guy who was sitting at the table who then produces the CD, goes, this is my band, and gave me the CD. And I said, I can't take the CD unless you sign it, you know? And that's what <laughs> I'm supposed to call with everybody. And, and most people were going like, you want me to sign it? I said, it's your fucking album. I, said, <laughs> I won't take it if you don't sign it. So, you know, and I, I took that home, listened to it. Fucking sounds phenomenal. And then he writes to me on Instagram, oh, did you get a chance? I went, mate, fucking kills, fucking kills. We've got to get over again, you know? So it's like, it's like an endless pit of the most exciting mm. musical experiences, you know? Yeah. Um, there's so much. That's, I mean, that, that's one of the unique things about metal is that, you know, one of the things that it thrives on is yeah. adversity and kind yeah. of difficult situations. You know, totally. it's, you know this, this pandemic, you know, it will, will spout a whole load of new bands that are based on the frustration that people felt from being, you know, locked down and stuff. At any totally. point in, in history when there's been kind of any kind of oppression and, and stuff, metal's always been that flag, hasn't it? It's always been that thing. I don't know if every music has had it, but metal certainly does. Any kind of strife, any kind of difficulty, metal's been right there at the front, you know, kind of leading the charge. It's almost fueled by it. Yeah, Mark, you're completely right. And it's completely where I'm at with that. It's like, um, you know, if they go, yeah, yeah, but there's, you know, there's uh, uh, flavors, uh, trending flavors. It's like, yeah, you take the 80s, take the 90s, take the 70s, take the whatever. Yeah, yeah, fine. But that's on a commercial basis. That's influenced by, you know, fashion and, you know, food types and economy and, and all of those things. Fashion, you get Britpop or you get, you know, disco or you get whatever, you know, fused mm. by clubs or fused by movement in. The, it's it's incredibly refreshing to hear you talk about the, the amount of music that's coming out. And, and in times like this, when it's very difficult, metal is often seen as like a negative thing. And I think we both can agree that metal is actually superbly positive. That there is, all, there is a positive thing. People think of Venom and 
black metal and that type of thing as being a negative thing. And the, re the, the, the reality is it's completely re the reverse. It's a positive thing yeah. about empowering yourself and feeling more powerful. So I think it's really nice, the things that you say about, about other bands. I think it's, it's quality, uh, real class acts. So I do appreciate that. Yeah, no, you know, Mark, I think that's absolutely right. You're very astute. You you hit all points that I would have said myself. I, you, you absolutely have hit all the points I would have said myself. I remember, you know, you know, uh, uh, doing being punk. You know, be, my first foray into trying to do anything sonically was was punk, uh, and then it morphed after seeing more head into something a bit different, more extreme, I guess. You know, um, if if you could extreme extreme in anything on, on top of punk, you know, but, um, uh, but it was the same thing then people would, would be, you know, I come from a Catholic background and, uh, uh, and, and, and a different era of people and, and, you know, they were like, what the fuck are you doing? It's just noise and you need to get a proper job and, you know, it's all bad. And it was a very negative, negative down thing. You know, Newcastle in those days, in the early eighties was split into two, Two, two parts. It was the north end of Newcastle and the south end of Newcastle. And in the north end was all the biker bars and the, the metal and, the, you know, the hairy fuckers and leather jackets and all of that. And in the south were all, were all the, you know, the, the working class uh, um, or lower middle class, you know, with a very nice, you know, all smelling of old spice with very nice jumpers on and nice slacks <laughs> and all that. And at the end of the night, you'd have all of this northern mess of hair and piss and blood, all fucking singing and everybody looking after everybody. And in the south, you'd have they'd all be fighting in kebab shops with the cop vans and the fucking ambulances, and it'd be like, you know, these are the good people, and we're the outcasts. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? We're more of a community. And I yeah. used to say to people, you know, when they say that, I said, like, you know, we would do a show. And if I'm, I, I, you can be sunsetting. I said, I'm looking out. Everybody's smiling. Everybody goes out smiling and happy. I said, so, you know, what, what's the big, I watch a football match and, and everybody's outside the car park trying to kick seven bells of shit out of each other. That's a fucking football match. Yeah. And the same two teams <laughs> would all be on the same coach getting singing British songs on the way to fucking Europe because England's playing. It's like, I don't understand. Yeah. Great analogy. Yeah. You know, I, the online community is 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 exceptional as as a as a flag bearing thing for what we always said is like the metal community is a community and I say to young people when we go out or if I'm talking to them online trying to coach them or something I say listen I don't know where you live but you love extreme music it could be Bournemouth it could be Immortal it could be you know, whatever but I said you you feel ostracized you know and you feel I want to quickly ask it. Um, yeah. Can we talk about acting, Tony? Yeah. Can we talk about that? We can, um, yes, indeed. I, I, the reason I want to talk about, hey, I'm I, if that's my kind of side game is to try and oh, is okay. acting as well. So, um, and one of the things we just wanted to bring it up is whenever you go on set, ladies and gentlemen, you're always looking for people to kind of who are like you in inverted commas, but same interests. If someone's got a metal t-shirt on, I'm I know I'm all right. I was on a set a while back, and there was a guy with a metal t-shirt on, and now we're lifelong friends because we spent time together. Is that when you when you went on the set of various movies like Master and Commander? You know, did they know who you were and what you did? Did they have any no, any no. kind of inkling? Not on that, not on that, really. I mean, obviously the directors do, you know, because um, um, they they were, but but cast not so much. Um, I, I remember 
on, on, on Master in particular, because that was like a kind of a long five month job. Um, yeah. I've done lots of other stuff. People in the theatre, because I work in the theatre quite a lot, they kind of discover me, you know. Uh, mm. But uh, on the movie set, now I just go in as it's just me. I'm, I'm there to do my job. I'm an actor. And so, you know, uh, um, I just keep it on the lowdown because it. Mm. You know, particularly doing what I do for a living, the way I do it, you know, it kind of is kind of extreme sometimes <laughs> for people to get a handle on it, you know, so yeah. they can get a different impression. So um, I, I, don't, I don't kind of blow the horn about anything in particular. When I do my music, I don't talk about my, my acting movies or anything. And when I do my acting, I don't talk about the music. Yeah. yeah, but it was interesting on that set because it was uh, Russell uh, Crowe, it was his bodyguard and uh, uh, Ralph and his PA who came to me. I was in a green room. I was like, we were several weeks into shooting the movie. I was sitting in a green room and they came and stood beside me. I was sitting on a couch and they came and just stood staring at me. And I was like, what? And they were like, uh, <laughs> we know what you do. And I was like, <laughs> and they went, we know what you do. And I went, what do you mean? You know what I do? They went, you're a heavy metal guy. And I was like, you're a heavy metal guy. Uh, so this whole thing ended up. The next day, Russell, I went to his trailer. I said, you need to come to my trailer. So I go to Russell's trailer and he said, okay, well, I'm going to bring a trailer down. I'm going to get a load of gear from uh, LA because he had his own band. And Paul Bettany. Yeah, he plays who, as a musician, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and Paul Bettany, who, was play, who now plays Vision, but he was in the movie too. He was a street yeah. bus guy. And Billy Boyd, who was in Lloyd of the Rings, was on it. And he's a bit of a player and a singer. So there was a whole bunch of us. Brian Dick, he was a young guy, guitarist, metal kid from Carlisle. And they were going, and Russell was like, I'm going to get a trailer. We'll have a drum kit in there. I'll get a fridge and everything. And guitars, you tell me what you need. And I was like, why am I telling you what I need? He was like, because you're <laughs> this rock star. And I was like, fucking, you're more of a rock star than I am. So anyway, <laughs> we ended up with this trailer and he came and gave me a key when any time. And we'd go in there and we'd play, we'd just jam all kinds of stuff, you know, everything. Yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, it was amazing. It was an amazing time. But normally, normally I, it's kind of on a lowdown. And then I yeah. turned up to set one day, had my breakfast and then went into the prep room for makeup and fucking Venom was blasting out. And they all just started <laughs> me going, I can't believe that's you. And I was like, oh, fuck's sake. Do we have to listen to it? Can you not turn it off? You know? But yeah. It's like, so. um, the, like, the, like the girls in, in makeup putting on, like when I was, the, the new, once they knew I liked metal, they would try and yeah. put their version of metal on. And yeah. it would be like rock of yeah. and stuff. And, and I was like, no, it's cool. I like that. But I like that the heavy stuff. So they would then play dance. And just to piss yeah. me off, and be like, oh, <laughs> this is cool. That's good. It's like, oh, but it, what, it, what it is is that uh, music in itself is a great sort of connector that you may not, yeah. you don't all come from the same areas, the same backgrounds, but you can all launch into a rock and roll beat and a 4 4 beat. You can all play, and it becomes a great way of, you know, communicating, doesn't it? Uh, it becomes a great way of like finding friends from that way. So it's just, yeah. I just found it interesting um, that you could do that with people you'd never met before. Yeah, I think you're right, because it's it's kind of a, uh, um, I suppose it's one of those things. I mean, you know, uh, um, what I used to say in the early years where people would, for example, just talking on your point, people would go like, who's your favorite guitarist? And I went, I don't have one. And they go like, well, you don't have a favorite guitarist. Who'd you like to listen to? I said, anybody who plays well, you know, yeah. but who's your favorite soloist? I said, well, 
could be anybody, it could be Eddie Van Halen or Gary Moore or any any solo that sounds good in the song that I'm listening to is he's good, you know. George yeah, Benson, yeah. amazing guitarist, you know. And yeah. I remember when when it was having that open debate about guitarists, yeah, but you know, you've got a young mom saying, I said, Yeah, your fluidity, the 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 note for, amazing. I said, but yeah, I want to see BB King. I went to see BB King in Texas, and BB King played one note. 50 different ways. One minute I was crying, the next minute I was laughing, the next minute I was like, uh, lost in space. One fucking note. I said, if yep. someone can play one note as well as five million notes, it's about the expression. And that comes from not just technicality, that comes from being a musician. The reason I love to play with uh, the drummers that we play with, uh, maybe maybe not so much, sorry, maybe not so much the Abaddon's, <laughs> but the other drummers and, and, yeah. and, and musicians I gravitate towards, including Mantis, is they play from inside. Mm. They're not just I'm playing not from them. They're playing, it is yes. them, their personality. Yeah. When people say, Mantis, how do you get that sound? It's like, he doesn't know. He plugs in and he plays. Because it's, it's him. It's mm. him. And, yeah. and, and that's what it is. It's the individuality. And I love... You know, you can listen to musicians if you listen to them and you can, you know, if you hear a lot of their work, you instinctively know who it is. And that's because it's like them talking to you or like yeah. their facial features. There's a way that your personality, just if you play from the heart and you play to mean it, and it is part of who you are. It's just how yeah. you are. And the, the fans <laughs> always know when you're, when you're, when you're not playing the heart. <laughs> they will call it out in a second. You cannot, you Copy. cannot phone that in. Yeah. No, you it's cannot. Like, and, and yeah, and and, sorry, and that, I think that is the communicative tissue, Mark. I think that that's like having a conversation. You don't need to be speaking to each other, but playing with each other is like having a conversation. And I, I remember uh, we were playing the Paradiso in Amsterdam very early on. Was with Atomcraft and the singer, and the crowd was like, we'd gone on. We were touring with Nuclear Assault. The crowd was not liking us for whatever reason. Uh, we were a couple of songs in and the singer came back to me and he just said, you know, he said, fuck these guys, fuck them. I'm just going to tell them to go fuck themselves. And I just looked up and I went, just do your job. Let's make sure we win them over. And when we went off, they were chanting for the band to come back. I said, because it's like being on a phone call. If I smile, even though you don't know I'm smiling, I can guarantee after 10 minutes and I say, are oh, you smiling? You're going to go, yeah. How did you know? Exactly. If, if if I'm pissed off, you're going to sense it. And if you go out there, uh, I saw Marilyn Manson, we played thing in, I don't know, somewhere in Europe and he was headlining the main stage. We just finished our set. I said, I want to go and watch Marilyn Manson because it's like I never seen him live. And uh, when I got there, he wasn't there. So I was waiting with the crowd. They were being a bit, you know, upset. And then... Uh, and then they started ripping the set down. And I was like, I thought Marilyn Manson was on. They went, oh, he's left. I was like, left where? And they went, he's left the stage. I was like, fucking hell. I thought he just started. They went, yeah, he did. But he's, he was trying to get the crowd going. They were a non-English crowd. And they yeah. didn't respond. And he went, you guys are shit. Because <laughs> he did that, it's like, well, that's, that's it's all over now, isn't it? It's like yeah. these people paid money to see you. And you're telling them they're shit. It's like, how can yeah. they be shit? You know, it's like an actor coming off stage and going to me on a show, an actor coming off on it and, it's, and go, yeah, we watch it tonight. The audience is not very good. It's like, what do you mean they're not very good? Well, last night they were great, but tonight they're not. It's like, how is the audience? They're, they're passive. They're just watching. How can they yeah. be shit? It's like do you, you do, obviously. 
they've paid good money to come and see you. You know, you need yeah. to respect that, you know, and, and you need to you know, put that on stage. And if you've had a bad day, tough. If you've got it, you know, if something's, we talked about it, if something's hurting you, tough. You know, if it's too yeah. hot, it's too cold, shut the fuck up. Play. They, they, some people, you know, spend an enormous amount of money to try and get to see your band. You know, you talk totally. about South America. This is a this is almost a depressed country, and they, they work yeah. hard to come to your show. They don't yeah. want to hear if you've got a bad journey on the flight. It's like it doesn't yeah. matter. You're there to play a great show. Play the great show. If you don't like it, you've said this before in interviews. If you don't like it, that's fine. But you but you are going to give them everything you can possibly everything. give them. Everything. You know, um, just, just two a, things. Before we before we go, um, before we go, uh, just just two things I want to kind of say. Have you ever played in Liverpool with Venom or Venom Inc? No. Oh, no. Okay. I, well, if we should try and make that happen. Uh, I think you would enjoy it, and I think people in, in the people of Liverpool would enjoy that too. So off call, we'll maybe talk about that. Um, okay. I appreciate I appreciate you. Um, Given us something of an exclusive is one of the first interviews coming up for, for, for the new album. I'm super looking forward to this album because it, I'm, I was so soaked with the single because I was like, this is everything I want to hear. This is everything Brilliant. I want to hear and more. And I hope you take some nice side steps and, and throw some other things in the, in, in the mix as well with it as well because that's it what I want as well. Yeah, definitely. Don't, you know, it, 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 it's a calling card, it's three minutes of just pure adrenaline. And that's what I wanted to get across. It's raw, it's in your face, it's just as it is but it's a calling card to bring you in. You know, the cover is a black hole. The cover is a, a supermassive black hole. You know, someone said, oh, it's an uninspired cover. It's like, what, a supermassive black hole is uninspiring? Wow. <laughs> okay. You know, it's the biggest thing <laughs> in the universe, and it eats yeah. worlds, it eats galaxies. It's like, holy fuck. But what's inside? You don't know. And mm. Mantis' experience with death, when he died, he saw a black vortex, and he was scared he didn't want to go inside. And so he's only so black, but it's like, yeah, but what if you let yourself go inside? Maybe you couldn't come back out, but maybe you'd see what is buried in that darkness. So it's a kind of journey. It's the unknown. And the reason I use it on the cover as well is for all of those reasons I've given, but it's, it's saying, come in, come into the darkness. Once you're inside the album, you might see the light. You might find nothing but darkness, but you might find something in there. I don't know if you'll find salvation, but you certainly might find more than you think. So, you know, imagine the first single is like a speck of light on the outside of a black hole that you spot and think, what the fuck is that? Is that a planet? And then it disappears. So you follow it in and that's where you're going to get the fruit. So that's the idea of the whole thing. And I think there's something for everybody inside. I'm quite confident about that. We think it's better than all the and I hope everybody does too, but give yourself that journey. Come borrow it from a friend, copy it off your neighbor, whatever the fuck. I don't care how you get it. You know, this isn't about, this isn't about finances and I don't need a, a luxury car and I don't need a villa in fucking, you know, somewhere. I don't need that shit. I don't need that shit. What I need to do is make music and communicate with you. And that's what this is about. So just take the journey, however you take the journey, you know, and uh, and then come back to me and go. I get it. I got it. And they, you know, I I I'm in it. Um, so that that that's what it's about. You know, that's what it's about. Ladies and gentlemen, he did not disappoint, did he? Uh, Tony Doland, uh, the the wonderful human being I introduced, is still the even more wonderful human being that we say thank you for coming on the show. It was uh, listen. We we'll have to do this again. 
it'd be nice to do a track by track. Maybe you and Mantis, we could we can work some we'll figure something out. But we can yeah, do perfect. track by track because I think people are gonna enjoy this album. I think this feels a very important moment for Venom Inc. Very important album as well. And I think everybody will be, be looking forward to this. Ladies and gentlemen, the, the, the quite wonderful Tony Delvin. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you all. I hope I hope you're all well and safe and, and I uh, and, and become prosperous and I hope to see you all out on the road and, and please enjoy the rest of the album. There's more to come. There's there's some stuff you're gonna love and uh yeah, I hope you really like it. And to Mark, thank you so much. This is the first thing that any of us has done in regard to the new album, and, and it was an absolute pleasure to do it with you, and, and I thank you so much. Oh, thank you very much, sir. An absolute pleasure. All right, and we shall do next time. Now, how good was that? How good was it to sit down with a legend in, in, in metal and in music and him to be as candid as he was and as, you know, absolutely superb gentleman, a lovely bloke. You know, it was a really, really nice conversation. I think he was incredibly honest. Tony was incredibly honest about how he felt about everything, and that was exactly as expected. Um so I hope you all got a lot from that. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you're looking forward to the album. There's only black on the 22nd of September, Nuclear Blast, and please check out the single and the singles that are coming up as well. I think I probably will try and get Tony on again and Mantis to do maybe a track by track. That would be nice, wouldn't it, if we could do that closer to the release? And obviously I'll try and catch them on tour as well, or I will catch them on tour, it's as simple as that. It would be nice to get them to play a show my, around my kind of region as well. Uh, to have a bit of a, a, a long conversation with him. I mean, we could have gone a long time. We really could, but I wanted to make sure that we we, we covered everything about the, the new album, really kind of helped promote that. And it was really nice of him to to give me an exclusive. You know, it's, we're not that type of show that, 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 that deals with that type of thing. There's other people that do, that do that. So it was really nice to deliver that. And I think his incredible candidacy and, and openness and honest uh, sort of outlook about everything was very similar to my own. And uh, I just really, really enjoyed that. I hope as a fan of Tony Dolan and Venom and Venom Inc. and all the projects he's involved, I hope you got something from that. And if you do, please contact me. Is there other people I need to talk to? Is there other music I need to be listening to? Uh, I recently updated my Twitter so you can find us on uh, the Spoken Metal Show there. But please, any social media you want to get in contact with, feel free to do so. Suggest bands I should be listening to, people I should be talking to, or even suggestions for shows. And I will listen to them all. And it, and it helps me kind of create. Uh, a better show and a show that for you, the listener, you enjoy uh, more. Once again, thanks for listening, and I'll see you at the show.